We read from Holy Scripture this evening, beginning in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. We're going to read this entire chapter, and then the first four verses of chapter three, which are our text. First Corinthians two. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Albeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And now what follows is our text. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? We read that far in God's Word and consider tonight those last Four verses. 
When are you going to grow up? That's a question we might ask our children, especially our teenage children, when their behavior is not appropriate for their physical age and they're acting in behavior as younger children and they're doing things that only younger children would do and we might often overlook in younger children exactly because it's what children do. When are you going to grow up? Or we simply say, instead of the question, what we really mean, when are you going to grow up? We ask that question when they do something that they should not be doing given their physical maturity, when they do something that only a small child or infant might do, that might even be excusable in that small infant. And the point that we're trying to make is as they grow up physically, there should be in their soul and in their behavior a corresponding growth with the growth of their body. And the Apostle Paul is making a similar point in the text with regard to the church. Underlying the point that the Apostle is making here in our text is the reality that there is in a child of God both a physical and spiritual component. And we're not talking now about the natural physical and spiritual component, that which we call merely soul and body, but a spiritual component which is of the Spirit and actually is the Spirit. Underlying the point the Apostle is making is that the child of God is a spiritual creature as well as a carnal or physical creature. And there is a relationship between the two. When God sent forth His Spirit upon the church at Pentecost, which Spirit continues to be sent forth, so that Spirit is given to dwell in the hearts of men and women and even children, then the Scriptures say they are made new creatures. They are made spiritual creatures. Nevertheless, the Scriptures also teach that they remain earthly, physical, or carnal creatures. But the fact is that exactly because now they are new creatures, spiritual creatures, there ought to be growth, spiritual growth, that ought to correspond to the time that they've been given that Spirit, even as their should be a growth in the individual as regards his physical earthly body and soul. He's drawing a comparison from earthly physical life to what ought to be the norm in our spiritual life. The gift of the Spirit is obviously on the foreground 
And obviously what he is referring to when he says of the church that they are carnal and not spiritual. The previous chapter that we read expounds the great benefit upon the church of the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. The great benefit is that with the Spirit came the great mystery of the Gospel. Which mystery, he says, God has revealed to us and that unless God had revealed it to us, we would be lost. And he makes clear that God has revealed that great mystery through the outpouring of the Spirit this way, by first of all, the Spirit instructing the apostles in the knowledge of that mystery. That's verse 12 that we have. Now we receive, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. He's talking about the apostles there. And then in the next verse he says, God revealed that mystery by sending the apostles out unto all nations and to all the world, preaching and speaking that mystery. That's verse 3, verse 13. And again, that was done by the Holy Ghost. He says the Holy Ghost was doing the teaching. And then thirdly, with that preaching and teaching of the Gospel by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost Himself entered into the hearts of men, women, and children so that they could understand and know, receive that mystery of the Gospel, which otherwise they could not receive being carnal, being earthly. For He says, the earthly, natural, carnal man regards that mystery of the Gospel as foolishness. And now immediately after that, after teaching the great, great benefit of the outpouring of the Spirit, the Apostle immediately turns to the Corinthians and basically asks them that question. When are you going to grow up? He puts it slightly differently. Are ye not carnal? But he makes clear what he means by that. He makes clean, makes clear that they are spiritually immature and they need to grow up. Now the Holy Spirit saw fit that these words of the Apostle were not simply given to a church to which that applied and asked that question but put it on the pages of Holy Scripture so that we can ask that question of ourselves. So that we may ask the question, do we need to grow up? Or do you need to grow up? Consider with me this text under that theme. Do you need to grow up? The strange reality. Secondly, the inexcusable evidence really I mean inexcusable not indefensible as I put it in the bulletin inexcusable evidence and then the perilous result first the strange reality strange reality that the apostle sets forth here after that amazing declaration of the spirit about what the spirit does 
and how the Spirit is received by natural men by entering into them, so making that which is otherwise foolishness wisdom to them. Immediately after that, the Apostle sets forth a strange reality with regard to the church where this has happened. And the strange reality is this, that members of the church were carnal. So strange is this reality that the Apostle sets forth that we might even ask whether that's possible. Is it even possible that in a church where the Spirit has been poured out, in a church where the Spirit has gone, and even more particularly, in individuals where the Spirit has been given and where the Spirit lives for that individual and that church to yet be carnal? We might ask that question so strange is that a seeming matter? But it's clear the Apostle's answer to that, yes, that's real. It may be strange, but it's real. Because this is exactly what the Apostle calls the Christians and saints at Corinth. Now he puts it in a form of a question. Are ye not yet carnal? But it's a rhetorical question. The purpose of that question is to actually make the charge. You are yet carnal. You Christians in Corinth, you members of the church who have the Spirit living in you, are yet carnal. And then goes on to prove it. That is a strange reality because that seems to be the opposite of what's possible for a regenerated and saved child of God. But understand, the Apostle here makes it strange to our ears because he does not refer here to merely unregenerated and unsaved members of the church at Corinth. That's how the term is sometimes used in Scripture. That term carnal in Scripture sometimes does refer to the unregenerated or unsaved. They may be physically members of the church, but they're unregenerated. They're not saved. Romans 8, 7 and 8. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot be please God. That passage there is referring to the unregenerated. Or Romans 9, verse 8. They which are the children of the flesh, that is, carnal, they mean the same thing, carnal and flesh, these are not the children of God. There again, he's referring to the unregenerated, even reprobate, for the context there is Esau. That the apostle is not referring to unregenerated and unsaved members there at Corinth is clear when he goes on to call them brethren. And I, brethren, though he calls them carnal, he does regard them as spiritual brothers and sisters, fellow saints, saved 
by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In fact, his address of them as brethren is important. And it's intended to, as it were, take some of the sting out of the sharpness of the words that he must bring to these brethren. It's also clear when later on he goes on to call them babes in Christ. Are ye not babes in Christ? If they're babes in Christ, then they're born again. They've undergone the rebirth. The rebirth of regeneration. They've received, therefore, the Spirit of God. So strange is the words of the Apostle here that if you would look into this passage, you're going to notice there's many, many explanations for what the Apostle means. And like those that say he's referring to unregenerate and unsaved members, those explanations are wrong and clearly wrong. Some say the Apostle here is referring to members who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, but not as their Lord. They receive Jesus somehow as their Savior who delivers them from the guilt of sin, but they have not received Jesus as their Lord so as to save them from the dominion of sin. This, for example, is the explanation of what we often call the fundamentalists who make a distinction between Jesus as Savior and Lord and present the possibility that one can receive Him as Savior but not as Lord so that one may receive Him as so that they are saved from their sins but they aren't actually delivered from sin so as to live in holiness and righteousness. Scriptures make clear that's not possible. If one receives Jesus as their Savior, then they receive Him as their Lord. There is one Lord and there is one Spirit of that Lord. Others say that the Apostle here is referring to members who have been baptized with water but have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, so that they're especially lacking in the extraordinary gifts such as tongue-speaking. This is the explanation of the Pentecostalists. The Pentecostalists will often talk about those who are baptized only with water, and members who haven't been baptized with the Spirit are yet carnal. And the evidence that one is baptized with the Spirit is that one can engage in the extraordinary gifts that the Apostle mentions later. For example, the gifts of prophecy and of tongue-speaking. That this is not the explanation is brought out by the Apostle himself when later on to these same Christians, these same brethren that he says are carnal, he says they possessed in great abundance the extraordinary gifts for example, of tongue-speaking, and in fact has to rebuke them for elevating tongue-speaking over against the extraordinary gift of the preaching of the gospel, thus destroying the notion of the Pentecostalists also that this is a permanent gift and not, as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12, a temporary gift of the apostle's age. Others say that the Apostle here is referring to members 
whose knowledge of the truth or doctrine was deficient or not as strong as it ought to be, not as strong as it was in other members. That was the evidence of their carnality. That's what he's referring to. That's not the case also, as is also clear from the rest of the epistle, where the apostle goes on to say that what he has to say about the Corinthians doesn't concern so much doctrine and their knowledge because they possessed all knowledge. They had a good doctrinal understanding. Perhaps much higher than other churches. And yet, he says of them, they are carnal. What precisely the apostle means by using that word is clear when he goes on to say they are babes in Christ and basically says they need to grow up. What he means by carnal is that they are not grown up spiritually so that they are childish and infantile in their spirituality. That is, in their life, in their thought, and their behavior, they were acting like children. Although they possessed the Spirit, they had not progressed and grown in that Spirit as they ought to have by this time so that in their life and thought they were still spiritually infants. And the word there is infants. Babes. Little, tiny children. That's evident when he goes on to say that he could not even give them milk. Spiritually, they weren't even weaned yet from milk. They couldn't handle, they couldn't stand, they couldn't eat yet the meat of the Word. Now the explanation for this is that they had allowed themselves to be governed and ruled by their carnal nature and not be ruled and governed by the Spirit. That's brought out when he adds that they walked as men. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? Spiritually, they were babies. Spiritually, they were infants, even though physically they were men. And what he means is they were behaving as mere men. They didn't walk as they were governed by the Spirit, but they were walked as they were governed by the Spirit of man and men. Scripture tells us how men walk and talks about us as Christians walking not as men, but according to the Spirit. That's what the Apostle is going to write in Romans 8 that we reference too. There is no condemnation to those who walk according to the Spirit, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And Make no mistake, when the Apostle asks that question, and when he tells them this is the way they are, he means to blame them for this. The Corinthians are to blame for their own spiritual immaturity. The Corinthians are to blame for allowing their flesh to gain the upper hand and to dominate in their life. To be blamed, in other words, is not the Spirit. They are to be blamed. They are to be blamed because they had not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit 
so that the Spirit reached into every area of their life and every area of their thought and every area of their behavior and to bring it under the control of the Spirit. They hadn't yielded to the Spirit likely because in their own assessment they were exactly what they ought to be. Spiritual adults. Perhaps more spiritually mature than other churches and other Christians with whom Paul taught. They didn't care so much that there was a little walking according to the flesh in their life. They were therefore babes. Babes in Christ. Now as strange as that might seem to our ears, it's real. It's a reality. This is what the Apostle was saying of the Corinthians. Not the unsaved and unregenerated, but of the Christians there. Of those who had the Spirit. Of those who had that mighty, irresistible, powerful Spirit that had made them partakers of Christ. Had regenerated them so they were babes in Christ. The realness of this, as strange as it might seem, is brought out in our creeds themselves. For example, the canons, Head 5, speak of this very same reality. Converts, canons Head 5, Article 4 says, converts, that is Christians, that is regenerated, Believing Christians are not so always, not, not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God as not in some particular instances sinfully to deviate from the guidance of divine grace so as to be seduced by and comply with the lusts of the flesh. What's amazing is that statement is even introduced in the canons by a statement of the irresistible grace of the Spirit. Introduces it this way. Although the weakness of the flesh, the flesh is weak, although the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God, you may add there, the Spirit of God, who confirms and preserves true believers in a state of grace, Yet converts are not so always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God. Now why did our fathers put that there? Are our fathers guilty of denying the Spirit? Of minimizing the power of the Spirit? Of teaching now a resistible grace? And the answer is no. They put that there because they recognize the strange reality of this in the church. Oh, strange it ought to be to our ears, make no mistake. But yet it's real. It ought to be as strange to us as if we saw a mother taking her teenage son and holding that teenage son up to her breast to drink milk because that teenage son still was not weaned so that he could eat meat. We should find it that strange when there are such carnal 
babyish Christians. It's real that in the church there are physically adult women and men who are well into adulthood, who perhaps have received the Spirit of a long time, perhaps since when they were babies, and yet they are still babes in Christ. They're yet carnal Christians. It's a reality that there are men and women who have had the Spirit perhaps for decades so that they ought to be very spiritually mature. Perhaps, as we say, have the gray hairs of the spiritually mature. And yet, they're still babies. They walk as men and not according to the Spirit. The fact is, it's a reality. A strange reality, but a reality that there are men and women in the church who have great knowledge and great understanding of doctrine, who perhaps have great possessions of spiritual gifts, as did the Corinthians. And yet it may be said of them, they are carnal, they are babes, they are infants, spiritually. And now the hard part is that we must expose ourselves tonight to the searching of the Holy Spirit who knows the deep things of God. We must expose ourselves to the rebuke of the text. We must not be so quick to say, well, we here at Trinity Protestant Reformed Church have had the truth for a long time. We have the three forms of unity and we've received many, many years of instruction in the creeds and in the truth of Holy Scripture. We know it backwards and we know it forwards. We know the difference between this and that. We know the truth. Of course, we don't need to grow up. Of course, we are not babes and infants. Why? If there are spiritually mature Christians to be found in the world, they are to be found here at Trinity Protestant Reformed Church or in the Protestant Reformed Churches. If the question is to be asked, do you need to grow up? That's to be asked of my neighbor in the pew. For my neighbor in the pew doesn't know as much as I know hasn't been a member of the church as solidly as I have or attended as faithfully as I have been here. We must expose ourselves and ask ourselves this question exactly because it's often the case that those who are the most spiritually immature and those who act spiritually like babies to think that they are the most mature Simply think about your own kids. Think about your own children and when you have to ask that question. And the bewildered look of the teenage son when you have to ask him that question. When are you going to grow up? And the look you get is, I am grown up. I am mature. I am an adult. What do you mean I'm acting like a baby? 
I'm acting like an infant. How often is it not the case that it's the child who knows a lot, perhaps knows much more than the rest of the children or much more than his classmates, who's actually the most spiritually immature and shows that by making clear to everyone else how smart he is, how much he knows, and how much understanding he has. We must expose ourselves to that question and the rebuke of the Holy Spirit tonight because it's often the case that even if we are spiritually mature and babies, even if somehow we would recognize immature and babyish, infantile behavior in ourselves, we excuse it by appealing to other what we think much more mature behavior. Let me say, as your pastor, with the same fear and trembling that I'm sure the Apostle had and that he spoke about in the chapter that we read, I'm not so sure that we are as spiritually mature as we think we are. And the answer to the question is, the answer to the question, do we need to grow up? The answer is yes, without a doubt. And perhaps we need to grow up more than many, many other Christians that we might consider babies. I will also add, I think the situation and the peril of it is much more than we recognize and we will address soon too. So what's the evidence, what I'll call even inexcusable evidence? And I add that word for a reason, because the evidence is usually right in front of our face, but we excuse it away, and the Apostle will not allow us to do that. The Holy Spirit will not allow us to do that. The evidence of being a spiritual baby, the evidence of being a carnal Christian, must be determined by the Spirit Himself and not by my spirit or your spirit. We must let the Word determine what constitutes being a spiritual babe. Otherwise, we're going to cleverly avoid the condemnation of the Holy Spirit here and cleverly take that condemnation and lay it on everyone else but ourselves. Now again, we should first see what the Apostle does not refer to, what the Holy Spirit is not referring to as the evidence or the manifestation of carnality and spiritual babyishness. What is that? Well, it's not, according to the text, a Christian that lacks good or thorough knowledge of the Word of God. The Apostle here isn't referring to people who have no interest in sermons or no interest in going to church on Sunday. Corinthians had that to the point where they knew all sorts of doctrinal differences and distinctions to the point where they were even choosing which apostle or which individual they would listen to. They were well aware of their doctrine and the truth. They were picking Paul and Apollos and Cephas. They had an interest in the Word of God. They were attending church. They were there for communion. They weren't babes from that point of view. 
The Apostle is not referring to members of the church at Corinth who were what we say inactive members. Members in name only. Now that is a reality too. The Scripture criticizes this reality elsewhere. Talks about those who are very ambitious in their work and play, who have no problem spending most of their time at work or play in the interests of their flesh, in the interests of their property, in the interests of their entertainment, and have very, very little time for church and church life. Attend church infrequently. Don't attend the meetings of the church where there is spiritual instruction and spiritual benefit for the welfare of the body. They're lethargic. They're passive. They're indifferent members who could care less about what's really going on within the church. Again, that's not what he's talking about. Not here. The Corinthians were active in their life as a congregation and as members. They were there. They were involved. Also, the Apostle here, the Spirit here, is not talking about those who were worldly in their life. That is sometimes how that word is used. And again, the Scriptures do criticize those whose life, whose thought, whose actions are indistinguishable from that of the world. Perhaps we think that's what he's referring to, to someone who runs around with worldly friends. They're at all the worldly amusements. Their lifestyle is very or much the same as everyone else who is unregenerated and ungodly. You can hardly tell. Tell in any way the difference between this Christian and those atheists or unbelievers over there. Again, that's not what he's referring to. That doesn't describe the Corinthians. They were concerned about living separately from the world. <clears throat> In fact, the apostle is going to have to answer some questions from them about whether it was lawful for them to divorce their wife or their spouse if that spouse remained ungodly and was not converted. And the apostle is going to have to give them instruction on that. They were concerned about that because, of course, they were seemingly unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. They had concerns about eating meat offered to idols. Now, that's not what the apostle is saying is the evidence here of spiritual carnality, nor the evidence that I'm applying to you tonight or asking you to consider as you ask yourself that question. The evidence is this. Whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk according to man? That's the evidence. If you're going to answer the question with honesty and let that question pierce down to your soul, do I need to grow up? The evidence that you need to grow up or don't need to grow up is envyings, strife, and divisions. Now, 
Since we are very good at applying the evidence to everyone else, we have to make clear again what the Holy Spirit is talking about. Envyings here isn't exactly what we always refer to as jealousy or wanting what someone else has. You may see, see that word envy simply as the word zeal. The Apostle used that same word elsewhere in a good sense with regard to the Corinthians themselves. He says about this very same church, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. And the word there is that word envyings or zeal. I'm zealous over you with a godly zealousness. But there's also an improper zealousness. An improper zeal. And what he's referring here is a strong passion in one's soul to have one's own desire. Regardless of the effect on others. Regardless of the effect on the congregation. Regardless of the effect on another member. That's what he's referring to. Be very clear about that. The evidence of being a spiritual babe and carnal in the church is that one has zeal. That is, a strong, strong passion to have one's own way. To have one's own will be done. And that regardless of the effect on anyone else. That's what he's referring to. The result of envying, or what we call misplaced or wrong zeal, is strife. That's why he mentions it next. Misguided zeal leads to strife. What's that? Well, that's fighting. Quarreling. Especially strife consists of quarreling and arguing that consists of rude, harsh words. Politicking, maneuvering, name-calling. And using that, again, to get one's own desire. Using those words, using those names, using those arguments in order to intimidate, to win the day, to bully, to not convince, not simply to argue, but to insist on one's opinion and get it. Strife. And strife always results in divisions. Divisions. These are factions. These are groups. These are parties made up of individuals, made up of members who stand over against other members in their zeal and in their strife. Schism. Now understand the concern then about this spiritual immaturity when one looks at the evidence that the Apostle presents as evidence of being babies. No, there's no misguided zeal in Trinity Protestant Reformed Churches, Church or the Protestant Reformed Churches. None of us, none of us has a zeal for a position. None of us has zeal for a cause. Doesn't matter now what the cause and position is. That one is insistent that it will be done and must be done and must be my way, the way that I believe is right. And if not, there will be strife. There will be angry emails. There will be name-calling. There will be excising someone out of the church. 
which invariable will lead to division. Don't go right to divisions and say, well, we really don't have divisions. I don't, I don't see the divisions. Well, that'll come soon enough if there's the envying and the strife. Take each one of those. Each one of those is a sign of being a babe, an infant. And again, let's not be so quick to excuse the behavior. That's what we do. Is it not? Is it not the case that when we're zealous for a position, we're zealous because, well, it's right? And of course, it's always right according to Scripture and creeds. Is it not? Do we not, especially among ourselves, justify all kinds of strife and all kinds of divisions because, after all, it's about the truth? Number one, there should be room for great differences of opinion over all kinds of matters in the church. And if you doubt me on this, simply read the book of 1 Corinthians again. And number one, look at how the Apostle Paul deals with the Corinthians in the light of all their practical problems. This is a church that's got problems. And the main problem is schism, division. It's the main problem. And it's not over doctrinal issues. It's over practical issues. It's over envying and strife. That's where there were divisions. There were divisions over the special offices. There were divisions over the gifts of the Spirit. There were divisions over how the Lord's Supper was administrated and what to do. There were divisions over eating meat offered to idols. There were divisions over whether a man and a wife ought to live together when one was an unbeliever. How does the apostle deal with them? Does he excommunicate them all out of the church? Does he say, you're not worthy to be a church of our Lord Jesus Christ? No, here he is. He calls them brethren. To those of us who would use harsh words and name-calling and excise members out of the church because they don't see things our way and then want to excuse that behavior as the height of spiritual maturity. We are the most spiritually mature. Simply look at our zeal for the Word of God and the doctrine never asked themselves the question, did you even address them as brethren like the Apostle does? Never asked themselves the question which the Apostle leads to. In 1 Corinthians 13, he gets to the heart of the matter, which is love. There was an individual recently who was excusing all kinds of infantile behavior the result of which was division so that he left the church. And when asked the question, where is love, responded, love is militant. Number one, give me chapter and verse on that. Number two, where especially in 1 Corinthians 13 does it say that? What I read is love is kind. Love overlooks fault. That's where the Apostle is headed with all this, you understand. And the point of the Apostle is that it's treating people, when there are differences in grace and love, 
that is the sign of spiritual maturity. That's not spiritual immaturity. That's spiritual maturity. That's what he's teaching the apostles. That's what he's teaching the church here. Oh yes, there will be differences. Oh yes, there may be differences in how you see many things. Even with regard to the Ten Commandments or with regard to doctrine and truth. But now how you deal with it will indicate spiritual maturity or being a spiritual babe. Why is it that especially in the Protestant Reformed churches, it seems like we cannot have any kind of difference, whether it be at consistory or classes or synod, without there being red faces and veins popping out of the side of the neck, irate emails, threats, threats even to divide. And of course, it's all about the truth, right? But the way it's gone about belies the fact that it's not driven by the Spirit. I ask you a question. Is there not anything the Protestant Reformed churches have learned since 2018? And is there not anything the Protestant Reformed members are learning from watching those who were spiritual babes and created division. Don't just point the finger and don't just laugh, although some of it is laughable. It's obvious. It's obvious to anyone who will examine what's going on in the light of the Spirit. But now you need to apply that to your own life and your own behavior. And remember that envying, envying, strife, and divisions is inexcusable. It may not be excused. And that it's being excused, often is reformation, of course, is always evident that it's wrong, in other words, that it's infantile, that it is not a work of the Spirit, is always clear when it's not done in the way of grace and love as the Apostle is doing to the church here. Look at the harsh words he has. Those are harsh. Are ye not yet carnal and walk as men? Hard for me to say that about Trinity Protestant Reformed Church. But he's talking to them as brethren. And look at what the rest of the things he has to say in this book, which about is about walking in the way of love. Now, the danger. And we need to talk briefly about this because that's another problem. No doubt when we act as children and we act as infants, and when it's pointed out, perhaps our response is, well, what's the big deal? I'm getting milk, am I not? Is that not good enough? I'm saved, am I not? I'm regenerated, am I not? I may be a babe in Christ, but I'm in Christ, right? Again, the Apostle is pointing out how dangerous. He uses sharp words. He says what he has to say with fear and trembling because of how perilous is the situation. Number one, divisions destroy the church. 
Not only do babes in Christ, though, destroy the church, but the divisions aren't limited to divisions in the membership, but divide homes, divide marriages, divide families, divide friends. They divide everything. Babes in Christ do. And they think nothing of it. But it's especially the church that they divide. It's destroyed. Realize that. That if we're going to act like a baby and an infant in our zeal for our cause, whatever it might be, and it's always the truth, so that we have strife and then divisions, that that never ends. The divisions will pile up into more divisions and divisions until perhaps only you are left. But even more dangerous is what the Apostle points out, which is, do you realize all I can feed you is milk? Wouldn't it be strange if all of us physically as adults were still drinking mother's milk from the breast? We would say that is one strange church and people. Something wrong there, and seriously there is. That's what the Apostle is getting at. He's saying, I have meat to give you. I have real things that you have to know. You have to learn. Practical things even. And you're not even able to receive them because of your childish, babyish behavior. That's destructive. I think we perhaps don't realize how destructive it is, but maybe we'd have some understanding of it if we simply look at the picture again. How strange would it be if that's all we ever had to eat and drink? We would say, you're not enjoying life. You don't even understand all the good things God has for you. That's what the Apostle is getting at. Do you understand all the good things I have to teach you about God and your salvation? All the wonderful flavors that are out there in the food of God's Word, and you're missing it. You can't have it. You can't receive it. If I gave it to you, you'd throw it up. More divisions. That implies then, beloved, repent. If you need to grow up, do what one of your children should do when you point it out and say, yes, yes, mom, yes, dad, I realize. I'm acting like a two-year-old. I'm acting like a three-year-old with my temper tantrum and my zeal and my desire to get my own way. I'm sorry about that. I'll try to act more like you do. That's exactly the point of the apostle here. That's the exact point of the Holy Spirit tonight with Trinity Protestant Reformed Church. Comes to you and say, now, if you answer that question, yes, do I need to grow up? Then repent of that. I'm sorry of that. I'm going to temper my zeal. I'm going to engage in battles even over the Word of God with grace and with love. I'm going to treat those around me as fellow brethren like the Apostle did. That is our calling. That is the word of the Spirit to us tonight. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee for the pouring out of Thy Spirit and the dwelling of Thy Spirit in our hearts so that we are in Christ. And if we are children and babes, O Lord, which we confess we so often are, forgive us our infantile babyish behavior and live within us and dwell with us so that we mature and we truly walk 
as children of our Lord Jesus Christ, in love and in grace, one for another. Especially us who defend and teach the truth of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.